Super Talk Mississippi media production. What if everyone was turning their head to look at you with a brand new Flowmaster exhaust system from Exhaust Pro in Macomb on Georgia Avenue? Cruise in style with Exhaust Pro of Macomb on Georgia Avenue. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippey, my co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We are back. It is the first show of 2020. I took about a week's worth of vacation, I guess. I guess I was gone about a week. The day after Christmas, I worked and then headed to uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area for the next week. But we are back. Uh, The last day of vacation as I'm making the eight-hour drive home from Fort Worth to Oxford, Mississippi, uh, of course, like most things, when I'm in a terrible spot, all hell breaks loose on the Ole Miss uh, beat. So Ole Miss hires DJ Durkin as a co-defensive coordinator with Chris Parkins. They also had Joe John Finley, who's probably got to feel like <laughs> just kind of the guy at the bottom of a press release at this point from Texas A&M to be the tight ends coach. We'll get into that some. Maybe some Mississippi State stuff. That the situation appears to deteriorating rapidly. Um, I have a story about my experience at a uh, – at an art exhibit that I went to by choice, and uh, maybe some other stuff. What's up, man? That by choice didn't sound like it was actually by choice. It it. Uh, all right, fine. We'll start there. I don't care. But we got <laughs> we got plenty of time. The people are lured in. No, it was by choice, sort of. It was one of those things. So my girlfriend now lives in in Dallas, Fort Worth, and so I went out to see her for a week. She just moved out there, and like you know, Dallas, Fort Worth area. A lot of stuff to do. It was a great time. Enjoyed the. I never. I'd been to Dallas for like the two Cotton Bowls when I was a kid uh, under Houston Nutt. But really, obviously, I'm not like hitting the town and stuff when I'm you know, 11, 12 years old. So it was really the first time I'd kind of gotten out and route in that area. Really enjoyed it. Point being, after like, I told her on Saturday that I had to watch the two playoff games for work, which is the greatest excuse of all time. Because uh, little did she know I was not even going on radio for the next you know calendar week after the, uh, after the games happened. But the excuse worked no less. But I figured I felt bad because we spent the entire second day I was there watching the playoff games, which, you know, we're sitting at a sports bar in Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma LSU. She's like, why are you watching this? I'm like, honestly, that's a great question. I don't know. This was over five minutes in. Anyway, I felt bad. And so I was like, look, if you're going to sit through two football games, there's this apparently classical art exhibit in Fort Worth that uh, is showing a bunch of fancy paintings. And she was like, I'll go. It won't take very long. it take like 30, 45 minutes. So I was like, all right, I can do that. Of course, I show up to this thing. I'm walking in there, and I'm fish out of water. There's di- just different breeds of citizen at an art exhibit. Like, I'm looking around like, yeah, this this is not my scene. And I walk into the exhibit. All of them nudes. Not a shred of clothing to be found <laughs> on a piece of canvas. Every single one of them is a nude. And if you think I might be embellishing... <laughs> If you think I might be embellishing this story, it is the artist's name is Renoir, and this dude was apparently the horn dog of the 19th century. Like apparently he is credited with bringing, and I quote this: I, I believe this was a quote on one of the sides of like the info, infomercial things, bringing uh, nude paintings back to the classical scene. So that's what this guy is taking credit for. So I'm walking around this room, and there's just not a shred of clothing to be found. And I'm like, geez, this is like. Dark places on the internet, but in medieval times, like this, this is unbelievable. And so I'm looking around trying to act natural and not making any immature jokes. You, you got dudes, like you got 
a co- blend of like retired couples. You've got like the hipster art people like walking up and you know staring at the nude photo and then taking notes, I guess, as to what they actually see that no one else sees. I think that's how art works. Uh, you've got you had one dude exp- just kind of like mansplaining the art, uh, like what the art actually means, despite what it, the description actually said to his girlfriend. And I'm just sitting there, this guy, like, uh, like. It, it was an interesting experience. So I walked through an art exhibit for 45 minutes, and yeah, all nudes, about 80 paintings. Uh, were they like the same person? And so apparently, yeah, apparently this guy just had a huge affinity for painting bathing uh, women. Oh. So that that's kind of, that's what the, this guy Renoir was apparently a pretty uh, pretty shady dude. I, I imagine if, I, if you're trying to describe this Renoir fellow in the, ninth, in the uh, 21st century, I'm going to bet he's had a warrant or two in his life and probably is opening a strip club in, like, West Jackson. Like, you know, Black Diamond Danny's type of deal. Maybe his scene. Yeah, I wouldn't want to look at his laptop search history. But at the same time, uh, I started looking up what some of these paintings were, and uh, the one of them at the final, like, stop of the exhibit uh, apparently sold for a cool, like, 62 mil. So people are uh, people are so stupid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> holy shit, man! I it, look. There are a lot of wealthy people in this country. Like, there's an attack on the rich now, or whatever. Uh, most people that have a lot of money, like, either created a business, or like really intelligent business people, or doctors, or something like that. There are rich people that are still just as stupid as the rest of us. Oh, I agree because they, the, the, well, the, I think that's personified by the art market because it's literally just whatever rich people want to pay for the thing, particularly that new, like modern art stuff where it's just like a bunch of colors spread out on a page. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I finger painted that back in the day. Yeah. Like, like there's some kid 25 million. There's some kid like in New York, like a 12 year old that sells art for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's just a kid scribble, but like, oh no, it's, he's, He's got a brilliant mind. No, it's just a kid doing kid stuff. Yeah, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's just people like I think it, 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 I don't get it either. Like I don't understand who's setting the market there. This stuff, to the guy's credit, uh, our our resident horn dog Renoir, he uh, like you could act, these were actually like people, so you could tell like like I'm looking at that thing and you know try not to make any jokes, immature jokes to the people around me, being like, oh look, they're naked. Uh, but you could tell it's like something like I'm not, I'm not sketching that up on the sketch pad during a radio commercial. Like that actually looked like it took time <laughs> and effort. But uh, yeah, so that was an art, an art show, not my scene. But uh, that Renoir guy had it going on back in the 1800s. Uh, he had did quite an interesting job. So that was my experience at a uh, <laughs> at a Fort Worth art exhibit. I um I don't think I'll be returning, at least not by uh, not by choice. But uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, on you know a smooth transition to Ole Miss hiring defensive coordinators. Uh, you guys have been holding down the fort on radio for the last week. I have some thoughts. I'll get yours first, and I guess I'll kind of uh, preface that by what was just kind of the reaction to our uh, radio listenership text line to everything yesterday. Um, it was mostly – it was actually a mixed bag. Usually with things like this, you kind of get two polar opposites. And when the fi- hire was first announced – uh, that's all I saw. It was either a uh, great hire home run, you know, everybody else can screw off, or Ole Miss is going to hire O.J. Simpson next. 
I think it was the Mississippi State SB Nation blog that said that he was guilty of manslaughter. And as irresponsible— I saw a couple of those takes. That's just not accurate. That it's, and that's simply not accurate. The truth, I think, lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, a player did die on his watch at Maryland. That, that did happen. Uh, that should never happen. But two separate investigations found him not directly responsible. Now, it did happen in his program, and it the should not have happened. directly. Right. He was not directly responsible for it happening. Because so I think that it's ultimately it's a bad look because I think you could have hired somebody on comparable football coaching ability without the scandal. However, I find myself having a hard time getting so outraged like everybody else in the national media when the kids' parents themselves said they wish him well and hope he's learned. So if the people that had that, that lost the most, that were most impacted by his shortcomings in his program, wish him well and hope he learned, why should my outrage be worse than theirs? So and it's not a good look, and maybe they could have hired somebody else, but he's not the guy leading the program. It's not his program. At some point, he was going to come back to be a coach in college, and, uh, I mean, he's a good football coach. It has to go well. Like, he cannot have a slip-up. It cannot come out that he was too hard on his players or whatever. It has to go well. He can't make news at Ole Miss. But I I just find myself having a harder time being as outraged or more outraged than the people who lost the most in that situation. Yeah, I I tend to fall in a, 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 I guess, a similar line of thinking. I do think it's a bad look. I I, I don't – you know – He's a he's known as a very good national recruiter. You know, the one year he was at Florida, excuse me, at Michigan, you know, he had a top four defense in the country. You know, he's worked under a lot of good head coaches, whether it's Harbaugh, whether it's I believe he was with Meyer for a little bit. I believe he was maybe I think with Muschamp back at Florida. He's got a pretty good coaching pedigree with what he's worked under was not a very good head coach. But I guess what I'm saying all that to say, not necessarily to justify it, most of the time in these cases like this, when you see controversial people brought in, if you want to go to the NFL, you know, Michael Vick, um, you know, Joe Mixon, Tyreek Hill, stuff like that, all different issues. I'm not comparing the issues. But when you have someone where it's debatable whether they should get a second chance because of something awful that happened under their watch, something they did, it's usually because their talent outweighs the baggage and they're such an exceptional talent, they they are really people are willing to, I don't know, look the other way is the right word, give them a second chance, whatever you want to call it, because of that. And I'm just wondering if that's there. Because it's very clear that Lane Kiffin, and this is I mean, I think all coaches think like this in some similar aspects. In terms of making the hire, this is a recruiting based hire, right? I mean, you've got a two time national recruiter of the year in Chris Partridge and DJ Dirk in two thousand twelve recruiter national recruiter of the year by rivals. Joe John Finley, the tight ends coach from AM, known as a very high uh, dynamic recruiter, despite being a little bit younger. Uh, so these are all recruiting heavy moves. Kevin's come in from day one, say he's going to recruit Ashley. That's what these are for. 
I'm just curious. I guess I'll start here. Is 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 the talent? Uh, is his coaching uh, talent is weird to say with coaching, even though I think there are talented coaches. Is his value worth the backlash and the baggage? It, that's the million dollar question. And if Lane Kiffin believes so, then that's really all that matters because he's the one making the hire. I just I figured. Uh, I mean, how much better, as far as we know, of a defensive mind is DJ Durkin than uh, Mike McIntyre? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and is it truly an upgrade? And recruiting, uh, the other two hires getting buried in all of this are exceptional hires. I mean, Lane Kiffin stole the tight end coach from Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M to do the same job. It's not an upgrade in, in even title. It's the exact same job, stole Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M's tight end coach. That's huge. And he also is the guy that coached uh, Albert Agubabananum, whatever the hell his name is, the potential really high-level pick at Missouri, the guy that uh, has been the best tight end in the SEC for years. And then at Texas A&M in his one year, they have a freshman tight end who's one of the best in the league himself. So the guy can coach tight ends, he's a recruiter, and you stole him from Jimbo Fisher. That's an incredible hire. And then you went up to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and you gave him a title increase, but still, he was Michigan's guy. He was their recruiter, and you went to Ann Arbor and stole a guy from Michigan. Those are two exceptional hires. But the Durkin thing, I mean, he's known as a great recruiter, but he hasn't had to recruit since this happened. So will he be able to? I mean, will they be able to answer questions from parents, and you know that Mississippi State and Alabama and Auburn and LSU are going to hammer the Jordan McNair thing home when they're recruiting against DJ Durkin. They're going to do that. So can he still be a great recruiter with this in his background? That's the question. Yeah, and what's interesting, if you want to go back to the Maryland stuff, it's interesting because you, you hit it on it with in terms of directly responsible. It is undoubtedly a bad look. Look, you, you so if it's your program, if someone dies uh, over something directly related happening in your program, like you bear some responsibility in my mind, even if you're not found directly responsible. I get it. I get investigation. It's clear. still your program. It's still your strength coach. It. it I mean, that's just. And then there, yeah, this, this is a really bad look for. I, I just. I don't. I guess I, I like I was kind of adding up like I kind of was saying earlier. I, I just is it really worth it? Like, is this really worth it? I understand like Kiffin probably thinks of it as oh the back or you know Kiffin Ole Miss whatever backlash will be gone in a couple of days and it'll kind of uh, you know because the news cycle here is so short. And, well, it's already you know, gone, man. It's already exactly. gone. exactly, exactly. And, and people are gonna forget about this. Don't forget. Rich Rodriguez was at Ole Miss because he did something very bad. He, he didn't have a player die on his watch, but there was scandal in his past. That's why he wasn't the head coach at Arizona anymore. And only one person wrote about it, and it disappeared. I mean, the same – And what, what's so funny about the media, the outrage that you saw yesterday, is these people speak positively about James Franklin. And how great of a job he's doing at Penn State. I mean, do we not forget what happened when he was at Vanderbilt? How there are multiple former players of his that are in prison? And he was involved in that? I mean, it's so quickly people forget in this business. And so maybe that's what Kiffin's thinking is, he's my guy. He's my coach. The news cycle will end quickly. 
I'm not going to let the coordinators talk to the media anyway. I'll have my stock answer ready to go, and people will forget very, very soon about this whole thing. Right, which doesn't justify it from a moral standpoint. It's so hard no. to kind of thread the morality needle here in, in a really just kind of immoral sport. Uh, I and mean, that's, that's really what point, man. college football it, is. Yeah, exactly. Like, we, I mean, it's that terrible that, to say these guys don't care, though. No, they don't. And in that report that we were texting about the 180-page report or whatever it was, um, there were players in there quoted as, oh, he gave special treatment to the Stars. And I, I didn't experience whatever they did, but you hear that a lot from disgruntled players that maybe didn't play. And we got that in high school. Like, I, I, a good buddy of mine on, on my high school football team didn't play and thought the coaches hated him and, and only treated the starters better. It, it's little things like that that were used against him that, I don't know how to put this other than, it's what football is for the most part, you know? Yeah, not the, I mean, not the player it's kind dying. of the politics of football. Not the player dying, not what led to that. I'm talking about the other things in the report that guys were yelled at and uh, star players were had more attention paid on them. That's just that's what happens, man. Uh, there was some disturbing stuff in there, though. I remember absolutely the, uh, there was. The, the, it, that's what the makes this not a good look. Yeah, the whole candy bar thing. What was the candy? Uh, They'd either make it, they'd force them to eat or make them stop eating if they're over, something like that. Like any, uh, something, I can't right, remember exactly yeah. what it was. I don't have it in front of me. But what's interesting is, is in that report, you have a wide ranging, uh, I would say, wide ranging sample of opinions about, you know, Durkin and his responsibility and what he thought. Obviously, his uh, strength coach, Rick Court, seemed like a, uh, a bit of a loose cannon there. You know, how much was that him acting rogue? How much of that did Durkin know about? Again, I, I, I hate, I, I don't tend to buy much stock into the, uh, I didn't, like Rick Patino, I didn't know what was going on type of deal. I think you know what's going on in your program. You exactly. Do. I Absolutely. think each case is different. Like the Tudor Gate thing with Moorhead, like that's probably a little bit different in terms of like knowing directly what's going on because they do have a lot going on and to monitor everything like that. But something as major as this, I think you know what's going on. Well, you also know, not to get into the Mississippi State thing yet, but th this idea, and we all knew it was BS from the beginning. I think even all Mississippi State fans, for the most part, barring the uh, anonymous guy on Twitter, knew that the they were led astray thing is ridiculous. At every major college football program in this country, players get academic work done for them. Everybody knows it. If you've worked in athletics, you absolutely know it. It happens. Not the entire team. You also don't submit tests while the game is going on, usually. But this idea that they were led astray from a rogue tutor, give me a freaking break, man. Like, everybody knows that that happens everywhere. So even if – and it, Moorhead is not directly responsible for that because you hire academic people to handle it. But if you, if you tried to tell me he had no idea that some of his players were getting work done for them – you're lying. Everybody knows that happens. Yeah, and I, I read an athletic piece last night from Nicole Auerbeck, which I I, I, I believe I had already read when it came out. It was October 
2018 when all of this was kind of hitting its height, if I'm not mistaken. And like people were kind of like saying like 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 if you, like wow, it just went official by the way. Joe Moore had fired at Mississippi State. Whoa. Okay. According to Brett I, McMurphy. Wow. Okay. Uh, hold. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Hold on. We got. We. I. I. I have a couple more Durkin thoughts, and we'll get to that. That's wow. That's quite something. Uh, nothing like recording a podcast in the morning because you occasionally get like the breaking news that happens like during it. Um, but what I was saying was it, it was a Nicole Auerbeck story that focused on like I, I think one of the things that I don't like most about college sports is the uh, cult like fan bases that will pretty much like I use this example on radio way too often. But it's like there's a faction of people in every fan base that if the head coach went and got, got his car and just ran over some dude in the middle of the street, they'd have said he shouldn't have been standing there like just blind defending. And I think that's what you're getting here from some faction of Ole Miss fans in the terms of like. He was found uh, co- like not directly responsible or cleared of wrongdoing, which I, eh, it still doesn't really mean there wasn't a co- toxic culture. I mean, he was playing videos. There are allegations of him playing videos of serial killers drilling into people's eyeballs during meals. That doesn't really sound normal. Like, there's all kinds of bad stuff in here. And I think it's undoubted. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it's undoubt- undoubtedly a, there was a toxic culture there under his watch. But again, here, how much does that play into it? Because he's not going to be the head coach. He has a much lesser role. I don't know. I'm not justifying. I'm just saying there's a lot to weigh here. And again, Ole Miss can hire whoever it wants. But it still doesn't mean it's necessarily justifiable or or it's a good look. So I I don't necessarily have an opinion on where I fall on this, I don't guess. But I do think it's a bad look. I do think they would have probably been better off going elsewhere. Uh, but again, I, I guess it's his staff and he can hire who he wants to. And obviously these, these guys are good recruiters and he's built, Kevin is building a good staff. I just wonder if this was worth it because I think it's undoubtedly, I know he was cleared of direct wrong and direct responsibility in the Jordan McNair case, which seems to get the, 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 the death of that poor kid and that poor family also seems to kind of get used as a meat shield in terms, in the face of like, outrage and things like that which i think is wrong as well a lot of it's genuine i'm not saying all of it's that but I, that's the most important thing to keep in mind here but even aside from that i think it's it's undoubted that there was a toxic culture under this dude at maryland i mean you know hold on here here's a here's a let's see here here is a excerpt from this story i was trying to find it again mr durkin does admit that he heard mr court who's the strength coach using the word well, I, I'm not even going to be able to abbreviate that, but it's it's a basically he's berating some player, but did not hear the language directly di- directed at the individuals. Mr. Durkin further acknowledges that he heard about the incident where Mr. Court took a box of food out of a player's hands and threw it against the wall. But Mr. Durkin does not believe Mr. Court crossed the lines. That just seems a little psychotic to me, does it not? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, so, you know, how much I'm not inside football buildings. I don't know how much that goes on elsewhere. The whole serial killer drilling stuff into people's eyes. Some of the other stuff in this does not seem normal at all. But again, I hope Miss can hire who it wants to. I don't think it's a very good look. I, I, I do wonder the, uh, is there an element of too soon here? Cause I would, one of the most fascinating things about sports to me is when something like this happens, like how long is the sentencing in the court of public opinion? Like how long till it's not too soon, I guess is what I'm asking. Or is it, is that now? 
Uh, I mean, that's a good question. I saw Barrett Salee just straight up say it's too soon Ole Miss. Well, then when is the appropriate time? And when does Keith Carter have to run it by you uh, in order to make this decision the, the right one? Um, I, I don't know, man. I, I, it's not a – we've said it a, a dozen times. It isn't a great look, but if you're talking about it from, from a football sense, I, I mean, Lane Kiffin is – assembling a staff that is experienced in recruiting, experienced in coaching, and one that um, somebody like Nick Saban would assemble. Yeah, it's one of those things. And here, we got to take a break real quick, but I do have one thought that I think you may have mentioned yesterday. I tried to catch one piece of the show. I was still out of state. Maybe not, I, I, but uh, I got it somewhere. I think it's interesting from a recruiting standpoint. But got to take a break, tell you the podcast brought to you by LBs. It is 2020. I, you need to go see what Greg has uh, in terms of 2020 specials. I forgot to text him today. Uh, this was supposed to be a Mailbag Friday pod, but it was one of those things. It's the first one back. We had a lot to get to. We do have a couple of your questions we'll get to at the end, but obviously there was a lot to steer the conversation. So we'll kind of be back on a normal schedule next week. That being said, go see Greg University Avenue across from Kroger LB's best place in Oxford, Mississippi to get meat. They've got all kinds of daily specials, plate lunches. You know, he's got the Lane Kiffin special running a $10 six ounce fillet or $15 uh, eight ounce bacon wrap fillet. The Keith Carter special $10 six ounce bacon wrap fillet. They've got plate lunches custom cuts he's always experimenting with some kind of nice sausage they've got sides all kinds of delicious stuff go let greg start your 2020 off right and tell you what to or let let him help you i can't read today um decide what to put on the grill so that's lb's at lb's university avenue across from kroger man when you take a week off of podcasting your ad reads just get real shitty <laughs> anyway the last the last uh one of the last Dude, the stadium website crashed, by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, because of that report? Yeah. Oh, wait, no, this is Sports Illustrated that crashed. I- I'm clicking Ross Dellinger's link, and it, it's, wow. it says uh, too many requests. Whoa. The, uh, whoa. Stadium works just fine. Yeah, it's a, they have a nice clean site. I just I pulled it up, like you said. The last, uh, but the last thing I wanted to get to with the Durkin thing is recruiting. He hasn't had to recruit since uh, you know Jordan McNair passed away and all of this happened. You know this is going to get twisted against them uh, in recruiting. You know, obviously coaches, schools find stuff to negatively recruit towards other schools all the time. Although I'll never forget in a 2016 press conference, Hugh Freeze saying he didn't participate in that, but other schools did, and he found it unfair uh, when they were in the midst of their NCAA <laughs> investigation. Uh, point being, everyone does it. How much of that do you buy in? I play into, I, I guess, buy stock into that because I think that's a big part. I mean, he he, he had a young kid die on his watch. It, it all the other allegations of the toxic culture in fine print. I think that's going to hurt him some. Uh, I can't imagine it wouldn't. But maybe he's just so good at it he can overcome it. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, we we won't know much. From this uh, next signing period, even though they're going to sign maybe a dozen guys uh, upcoming, uh, but they've got a handful of recruiting weekends upcoming with like four star kids from other states coming in town. And I mean, if they are able to secure some of these signatures and close really well, maybe it won't matter. I just, it's hard enough 
to recruit at Ole Miss when you're competing against Alabama and LSU as it is. And this just kind of is another thing. Yeah, and is it but, – But it is worth noting that it's not his – I mean, that's the point. The way people were acting yesterday, it's not his program. He doesn't have oversight in the strength and conditioning department anymore. Lane Kiffin does. He doesn't have oversight in anything. He is given marching orders from Lane Kiffin and does whatever Kiffin says. His oversight is gone. Yes, he is still responsible for college football players to some degree, but he is not the responsible party for college football players anymore. I think that's a big difference. If he was a head coach, I think the outrage would be more justified than when he's an assistant reporting to somebody else. Yep, but on the flip side of that, the other side of the coin here is how is that guy – and maybe the dynamic's a little different because I do think the co-defensive coordinator thing is a dynamic is an interesting dynamic because you have you know both guys at the current stage of their career. It's a promotion for Partridge. It's a promotion like it's a level he's never reached. Uh, you've got them both running the defense. They're both known as great recruiters. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, how is Durkin convincing parents in a living room to come send their kid to school under his watch? Because that does matter. Position coaches, things like that, like those are the ones in the living room a lot of the time. Obviously, head coach Kiffin plays a role in that too. How is he going to convince them of that when he has this? I mean, I don't mean to be flippant here or, or like crude or whatever the right phrase is, but like, how do you recruit after having a kid dying on your watch on your resume? Like, how, how did I, I'd be interested? Like, how does that? How does that work? I guess we're about yeah. to find out, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. And I guess, you know, at a certain point, we're just kind of talking in circles here. But there's a lot of this I'm fascinated about. Uh, all of that aside, the Durkin stuff aside for a second, what do you think of the the co-defensive coordinator dynamic? I kind of find it interesting. Like, I, I, I think I, I think it could work. I think we have two dynamic recruiters. But, like, I'll be interested to find out how that kind of works in terms of the minutia of who's responsible for what. Well, they have worked um, together before. Right. And it certainly feels like um, Durkin would be the primary play caller. I mean, this very well could have been a promotion in name only to get this guy from Michigan. Yeah, and probably probably paycheck as well. But yeah. uh, the, you're talking about them working before, just to be clear, that would be the 15, the loan season that Durkin spent at Michigan as defensive coordinator and I believe Partridge was a defensive player personnel guy that year before kind of continuously moving up and continuing to kind of get promoted. Uh, what, he was strength in linebackers and he was safety, something like that. Or excuse me, not strength, special teams linebackers, special teams and safeties. Uh, but yeah, I'll be kind of interested in the, in the minutia of how this works. So, you know, Ole Miss, I guess really not. One of the takes I found interesting yesterday, and I mean, you can probably guess who it came from. I'm not going to. In, invite the name on here, but you know, one national writer said, we've already seen what happens. Well, one of the things he said was that Keith Carter is the popular guy on campus for hiring Lane Kiffin and doing what the fans want and not saying no to anything. It's an intoxicating place to be, which if you actually talk to Keith Carter, which I know is a wild concept, that is not the vibe you get at all. I actually have a story come out in the next week or so on how he operates as a kind of a critical thinker and the way he makes decisions. So I found that kind of funny. But the second part of it was, we've already seen what happens when Ole Miss gives zero Fs. 
Uh, we'll see what happens this time. Like, I, they're not doing anything that any other college program isn't doing. Like, what does the whole give zero Fs actually mean? Like, it means it, Ole Miss it, is being run like a real football athletic program. That's what it means, Rippy. It, it, there are people, and we learned this with Todd Blackledge in the Sugar Bowl. I don't know if you got to watch that game, but they were showing Matt Luke on the sidelines doing the Matt Luke thing. And Todd Blackledge said that he got a raw deal at Ole Miss and he should not have been fired. And I just, he went six and six, five and seven, and four and eight. And the team was in games and they were coached out of games. They never looked like they were competently coached. He took over a program that, yes, was under NCAA sanctions and also was filled with NFL talent and he could not win. And he was not recruiting well enough to justify keeping a guy that was going six and six, five and seven, and four and eight. He did not get a raw deal. He didn't win. And it's not fair. And he should have never been offered the job to begin with. And he did stabilize a program after an NCAA investigation, but he did not win. There was no excuse to lose eight games this season with how many they were in and who they lost to. He hasn't won a game of consequence at all. He didn't get a raw deal. But it's Ole Miss. And little Ole Miss should not be recruiting at a high level, and little Ole Miss should not be winning, and little Ole Miss should not be hiring football coaches and a staff that wants to win games. If Nick Saban assembled the exact same staff, exact same, including DJ Durkin, that Lane Kiffin did, that would not have been Dan Wilkins' take. That would not have been. It would have been Saban doing Saban things. Saban assembling great recruiters. But when it's Ole Miss and little Ole Miss, it's all oh, this zero F's attitude. And by the way, who does Keith Carter have to answer to other than his fans? Uh, Glenn Boyce, I guess. But, but, but you, you get my point. Is Yeah, no, no, no. no yeah, Keith no, Carter I get doing moves that the fans want is his effing job. That's what he's supposed to do is run an athletic program that gets people excited, that gets people buying tickets, and gets people donating money. And that is exactly what he's done. He doesn't have to answer to you. Making safe hires and keeping Matt Luke around is not doing his job. Doing his job is filling the football stadium, filling the basketball arena, and getting people to continue donating money. That's his job. He yeah, doesn't have to think- answer to anybody else. I think the take, but the 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 take, yeah. I think the take he was coming, like the where that was coming from, was that I, I do. I found this part of it interesting. He said Kevin has a you know reputation of consistently you know getting up, towing the line, and then going over the line. Will Keith Carter be able to like rein him in and tell him no? I don't really have any doubts that Carter will be able to do that. I don't think Wayne Kiffin is going to be able to, and I don't. I don't think he would. It's weird to say, but like I don't. I don't think Lane Kiffin will be able to walk all over Keith Carter because one guy gave the other an opportunity and it wasn't Kiffin hiring Carter, you know what I mean? And you could kind of sense that in Kiffin's voice when he was talking in his opening press conference. But, like, Wilkin, of course, not talking to anyone here and not really actually knowing anything about the situation, assuming that because Keith Carter hasn't been an AD before because he's inexperienced that he's just going to get walked all over by Kiffin, which if you've actually talked to Carter – it's like the furthest thing from the case. I just found that interesting. But the, the part where you've already seen what happens at Ole Miss gives zero Fs, it's like this weird national media thing 
or like these these smaller, I guess people love to call them the have not schools, like have to play by the rules while the big ones don't. And that's just kind of what expected. That's why I can't take this sport seriously because that mindset, like by people who cover the sport, is so bizarre to me. Like, what do you mean give zero Fs? What do you think out like do you think Alabama, Auburn, LSU, quote, give any Fs? Like what what do you, I just what does that mean? And it's good that they don't care. So if that's going to be your criticism, that's fine. They don't care because they're going to do whatever it takes to win games. Good. Yeah. So anyway, that's about all the thoughts I had on that. I I, I will say, like, I, I felt like I was beating around the bush. Not, I mean, I'm not necessarily my place to give an opinion, but we did that on radio from time to time. I don't necessarily, not that my approval doesn't matter. I wouldn't have made this hire. I, I think. I think if you're a college coach and you have a kid die on your watch, given the other allegations of how that program is running, the culture around it, I just wouldn't feel comfortable hiring a guy to be in charge of uh, kids that age again. But again, my opinion doesn't matter. It's Ole Miss can hire whoever it wants. I'm just saying I wouldn't personally do this. It has a weird slimy feeling to me, but I'm not going to spend, well, one, because I covered the team and it's not my position, but I'm not going to fire off a bunch of tweets about how outraged I am about it, but I, I would not personally make this move. I, I don't think it's worth the baggage. I, I think he's a good recruiter. I, I get all of that, but I, I would not make this move. But again, it happened. They made the move. We'll kind of see where it goes from there. I'll be interested to watch this uh, kind of co-coordinator dynamic and kind of how all of that works. It'll be fascinating if, if there's one thing that's not in doubt here, that Kiffin is uh, assembling a strong staff that is going to recruit and they were going to recruit really well. I think you'll probably get a little taste of that here in the 20, uh, oh, excuse me, here in the February. But I think what you're really actually going to see kind of the depth of how strong this thing, this staff is recruiting wise is this next 2021 class. Oh, for sure. I mean, they, there's a real chance they close well though, uh, considering the amount of spots they have and, uh, the number of players that are going to visit that were not on Ole Miss's radar and uh, Ole Miss was not on their radar that are coming up, if they can close on some of these dudes, it'll be a pretty big deal. But transition classes will forever be transition classes with the new early signing period. So, yeah, 2021's the year, but, man, I wouldn't be surprised if they finish in the top 35, even the top 30, depending on how many of these visits actually happen. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, you're 100%. I, I think it'll go top, top. I think it has a chance to crack the top 30, which will end up being fine given where they started. You mentioned the transition class and all that. But the big, splashy, like, this cut, this staff is here to recruit. Like, the, if there's a statement to be made and they're actually going to be as good of a recruiting staff as it seems like they might be, 2021 is going to be kind of, uh, what, freeze 2013-ish? I, that's probably a fair comparison. Like yeah, that, that and seems... people are going to be pissed. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I you know, you know, colleague of Neil McCready wrote a column when Kiffin was hired, kind of saying to embrace the the villain role. If you're old Miss, I think there is some like Ole Miss is necessarily the villain of college football, but I do think there is some truth of that as to where is you know the the. But that's a, that's another thing, like. The weird dynamic of college football is where it's like, well, they're the villain because they're made one by the media. But like, what what professional sport would that happen in? None. Exactly. So, but like, it's it, anyway. It's all of that. I'm 
rambling here, but all of that is just so bizarre to me. Like the the way like college football media works and the way they prop up some schools as the villain or the bad guys and so others not. Anyway, I think it's all silly, but I think it's kind of funny that Kiffin is fully kind of embracing that. And Ole Miss as a school seems to be doing that as well. Elsewhere, uh, any nothing else really happened Ole Miss news-wise while I was gone. Did I know they played a basketball game. They kicked the crap out of Tennessee Tech, but I know they kind of had a sluggish start. Uh, any Any pressing things from that game? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's Tennessee Tech. Uh, the crowd Big was test okay. Tomorrow. A huge test tomorrow. And, I mean, is it fair to say we will learn the most about this team so far this year on Saturday than we have in any game they've played before? Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I'm, honestly, I, I don't – like, in that sense, when you're talking about that, like, if they go up there and they play them down to the wire and they kind of get in a 12-round a fist fight up there and say they lose you know, 75-70 – I still think that what you learned about them could like become a positive with this team. Like I, I don't think they have to go up there and win for them to. And it's a weird thing to say, but I don't think they have to go up there and win to feel great going into conference play. Because there's a world as good as Wichita State is. They got wins over Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Like they're, they're going to be a, a a force in the American Conference up there with Memphis. And at this point, it kind of looks like Cincinnati and Houston. So I, I don't think I just think they need to go up there and play well and give themselves a chance to win at the end of a game because that's a really tough road environment. You know, SEC schedule not the stiffest to start out, so you just need to go up there and play well because it doesn't feel like they've played well and put together a complete game uh, in quite a while. They've been kind of slogging through some bad teams, so I, I think they need to play well. Obviously, it'd help if they won they'd get more confidence all that jazz but i mean you're getting texas a&m arkansas florida to start sec play i just think they need to go up there and play well you know whether they win or lose i don't know but you, you can't get run out of the gym yeah so uh, i <laughs> i'm not a wichita state basketball expert so i'll just uh, i will learn more about them tomorrow when i watch and that's about it they're good. I mean, they're ranked. Greg Marshall's teams always seem to have really good guards, and they defend the hell out of you. Greg so, Marshall, didn't he used to write for CBS? Uh, Greg Marshall. Or am I, I making know. that up? Or is that Greg Doyle? No, that's Greg Doyle. Greg Marshall is a uh, – honestly, he's your, like, classic retro uh, basketball. Oh, he spells his name with two Gs. Come on. Oh, uh, yeah, he does. He's a Greg with two Greg Gs. That's a uh, – yeah, kind of an asshole move, dude. He Great makes three and a half million a year. Holy crap! Yeah, dude. I mean, that, that, basketball coach at Wichita State—that's awesome. Yeah, he's been, dude. He's built a hell of a program. You'll remember the one year, the best team he had, I believe they were like thirty and one, or thirty and they're like thirty-one and five in 2016-17, and they ran into a really, really good Kentucky team in the round of thirty-two. And played to this day one of the better basketball games I've seen in the last. Oh no, this was fourteen. They were thirty-five and one. They lost to Kentucky in the round of thirty-two by I think a point, and it was one of the best basketball games I've seen in a long time. Uh, I think they lost sixty-five, sixty-two, something like that. Anyway, point being, he's had some really good teams. Uh, you know, they went to the Final Four in his third year there in 2013. Good coach wins twenty-five, thirty games a year at that school. You know. They're they're the, probably the second best program in Kansas. I would put them ahead of Kansas State over the last decade. But hmm. anyway, so I don't know. Should be an interesting game. I don't think Ole Miss will. I I, I wouldn't 
bet on Ole Miss to win, I guess, if I had to pick a side here. But uh, I, it would be interesting to see how they play against good competition, really for the first time in a month since that end of November stretch. So uh, big test for them before they get into conference play. Uh, I, I believe SEC starts conference play this weekend. Ole Miss is It does. Not- Mississippi State has Auburn at home. And, I mean, around here, I know this is an Ole Miss podcast, but whatever, uh, game is completely flying under the radar. Like, and Auburn now undefeated. today, especially, uh, yeah, but like, I'm talking like promotion and any buzz. We have not this week, so today's Friday, received a single anything from a listener asking us to talk about the basketball game on Saturday. Nothing. And we haven't mentioned it because, you know, coaching turnover and we had New Year's and, but now this today, completely flying under the radar. Have a top 10 undefeated Auburn team at home and nobody's talking about it. It's bizarre. That is bizarre, but I, I think just, I mean, they lost to whoever the hell they lost to in that crappy building in Jackson. Just how is New teams, Mexico State. They're a tough watch. They really are. I've watched them a couple of times in the last, I mean, I watched them a few times last year, once or twice this year. It really is kind of a tough watch. Like, it's, 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 I don't know. You just say there's so much talent on the floor, and you're like, these pe- these parts aren't being used the right way. But Ben Howland anyway. is a poor man's John Calipari. And Calipari doesn't get enough credit for actually being a good basketball coach, but just on the surface, better recruiter than actual floor coach. Yeah, I agree with that. Calipari at least kind of makes his teams better throughout the year, it seems like. like the, there's always that kind of February Calipari push between teams when he doesn't have the, the I guess, top talent or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Recruits very well. Doesn't look like he can coach very well. Um, where should we go from here? I guess we should get in the state thing before we get into the LB's pick because really for the LB's pick we're just probably picking the national oh, – we don't have to pick the title game yet, but the NFL playoffs this weekend – so that'll be kind of transition to that. Let's get to state first before we get into the LB's uh, pick them and, and uh, kind of LB's NFL preview. So uh, obviously, as we were as we are recording, the news is kind of leaking out. You heard rumblings last night, uh, really throughout the day yesterday, that this would be possible. Joe Moorhead is out as Mississippi State head football coach. Um, I, this is fairly unprecedented, is it not? I, I'm not. I can't remember, and I, I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I can't remember the last time. A head coach has been fired in January after a bowl game? Um, fired, not left. Yeah, it doesn't happen often. And especially considering that it's a coach at Mississippi State who has gone to two consecutive bowl games and won the Egg Bowl twice. But uh, uh, it happened. And, and there's two reasons it happened. Uh, the first one is there is something wrong in that program. We've talked about it a few times. Uh, even though the local media uh, around there uh, covered it or, or didn't cover it to the point where it's extremely embarrassing. I mean, you had a, a radio host call the guy that knocked his quarterback out of the bowl game a bad mother, you can fill in the rest, and basically everybody else, with the exception of Hey Dad, to his credit, Hey Dad was like, no, this doesn't happen all the time. Uh, this is awful. Uh, everybody else wanted to tell you that, oh, boys will be boys. This is not a big deal at all. This happens all the time. You even have those people, and I love these people, who will say shit like, uh, well, you never played the game, so you don't know what it's like. Um, you don't have to play college football to know that starting linebackers don't sucker punch quarterbacks knocking them out of games. Like, that doesn't happen. Name me one other time. 
Sorry, I had to stop my dogs from making noise. Name me one other time that's happened. It hasn't yeah. happened. But I would just it, like it to got, do a quick throwback Thursday to the time where old Miss Media contingent got caught at Homers for trying to cover the NCAA investigation and then getting lied to by the coaching staff and the like, kind of local people around here. But carry on. That's neither here nor there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were books written about it. And yet the <laughs> self-published self-published books that had their their own website run a headline that said Mississippi State makes a change at quarterback. Um. No, that was the sign of a serious cultural issue there. He, he went to two straight bowl games and beat Ole Miss twice, but it was clear as day there was a disciplinary issue. There was a, we can call it culture, but that's probably not the best word, a cultural issue within the program. They repeatedly started games terribly. They never looked prepared for games. Last year, to 2018 season, the amount of personal foul penalties that that team had was unbelievable, and it just kept happening. They were penalized. They were unprepared. They were not motivated to play games. They penalties all the time, whether it be personal fouls or pre-snap penalties or opening drive penalties. They were pathetic on special teams. They had an NCAA issue where multiple players uh, got suspended for academic fraud. Their linebackers knocking their quarterback out of the bowl game. There was clearly something way off. And then while all of this is going on, the coach tells the fans to kick rocks and pound sand because you're going to have to drag my Yankee ass out of here. Like, the program was not doing well. It, it was undisciplined. They were getting smoked by the good teams and not prepared to play the average teams, and yet he was still so arrogant like that. This isn't surprising at all, and honestly, I think it's the right move. The timing's bad. If you knew going into the Egg Bowl you were going to fire him, go ahead and do it. But if you... There's no way you can convince me they weren't going to roll out like a four and eight next year or a five and seven. They were going to be in the same position. The program was trending down. The recruiting class is not good enough to justify keeping him. I think it's actually the right move because there was clearly something wrong with Joe Moorhead and the way he was running a program at Mississippi State. He never seen. I told you and Richard this, and I guess hey dad too. I don't know why I left him out of that, but like I can't. I mean, off air, on air. I try not you did to on the Mississippi State stuff too much because, you know, I don't cover the team out there today. To me, from afar, he just never seemed comfortable in his own skin. Never from the start. Like, just for really – and you'll talk about how quickly things change. Mississippi State played Kansas State at Kansas State last year. Was that the third game of their season? I believe so. So that's like, what, <clears throat> 15, 16 months ago at this point? I mean, they went in there and they beat the living hell – out of them, you've got Moorhead doing the alley oop dunk stuff on the sidelines every time they score a touchdown. They look because I thought there was a good hire when they made the hire. I was like, this is how a search coaching search should be run. I think I wrote something comparing the two, talking about how Ole Miss and the politics and too many hands grabbing at the table, just you know, creating a dysfunctional culture. While State kind of meticulously searched through some guys, found the top offensive mind, you know, thought thought to be in the country at the time and hired him. You know, just because it doesn't work doesn't mean the process was bad. But point being, just how quickly things have changed since then. And how like, uh, you couldn't have convinced me for the life of me 16 months later he'd be fired. But back to my original point, he just never seemed comfortable in his own skin. Like, it didn't from, fit. No, just with the way he handled like injuries to other strange questions and the the – the, the Egg Bowl thing, I had enough going on on my own plate that night because of, you know, people pissing in the end zone and stuff. 
But like, which by the way, a- don't tell people on Twitter that. Elijah Moore's end zone P got both coaches fired because people don't know how to take jokes. <laughs> that is kind of funny. It kind of sort of indirectly did, but I think that is hilarious. Elijah Moore's P is the only way both coaches get fired. I didn't word it that well, but it, that's true. There, I don't see a scenario where both coaches get get fired unless he does the end zone P because I don't think Matt Luke is getting fired if they just lose the game. I really don't. The end zone P is what the straw that broke the camel's back. Everybody at that point was like, all right, I've had enough. I mean, I know we're losing, but now we're embarrassing ourselves in the process. I'm done. And also, the end zone P is what got Matt Luke fired and got Lane Kiffin hired, which showed Mississippi State people, oh, wait, it wasn't working for them. And look at what they did. We can do it too. Pressure on the administration, and he got fired too. I don't think that if he doesn't pee both of those guys lose their job yeah and just like he just never seemed comfortable in that rant after the the game where he's like this is my program you're gonna have to drag my yankee ass out of here everyone else can kick rocks that's the kind of move you make when there's reports that you're going to leave and take another job like that's the kind of thing i, I would imagine mississippi state people would have begged to get out of of dan mullen at the final game in the in any of the array of years that he was rumored for other coaching jobs, which it seemed like for a five-year stretches every year, if he had gotten behind the microphone and said, this is my program, you have to drag my Yankee ass out of here, I mean, uh, the exact words would have fit. Uh, everyone else can pound, stand, and kick rocks. Like, you're dispelling the rumors. You're kind of saying, no, I'm here to say I'm committed to you. But when it's your own people that are trying to oust you, that's probably not the best move to tell them to kick rocks. Like, just really a bizarre move that I don't think we fully understood how weird it was at the time. Like, that's, yeah. that, that was a strange move. I mean, after you win the Egg Bowl, just say, hey, look, I, man, I'm just ready to move forward and hit the ground recruiting, and and we're going to have a good team next year, and I believe in Garrett Schrader, and, and I'm excited to get going. Not uh, middle fingers to the sky, screw all you people. Like, oof. That's Yeah, because you beat a terrible Ole Miss team, too. And I'm not trying to play the hindsight 2020 here because State did have a great defensive game plan that night. But Ole Miss played a bad game and threw up on themselves at the end. Like, you, you didn't do a lot to win it. Exactly. That's why you don't tell fans to kick rocks after you beat a shitty Ole Miss team. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, I don't know where they go from here because you can't make this move unless you have somebody lined up, right? I don't think you can conduct just a regular old coaching search. I Billy Napier? Jo- I mean, that's that's what everybody talks about. But Napier did just agree to an extension, although the report says that uh, it wasn't signed yet. So that's worth something. Uh, that is worth something. I didn't know that. I saw that he signed an extension, uh, but I, I did not know that that was uh, – I didn't know that it wasn't signed. That's interesting. But, no, I agree. You can't run a traditional coaching search in January. Granted, you did have the kind of the recruiting dead period for now. But, okay, so what happens? They had 20-something kids sign LOIs, didn't they? They got to give, give give them the option to be released from them, don't they? I think the class was 24. I mean, the, the next signing day for Mississippi State was going to be extremely uneventful uh, because they basically signed a full class. And it currently sits at number 25, and, I mean, that number will go down. Um, 21 kids actually signed on uh, signing day. So they'll sign three or four more, uh, depending on who the new coach is. But, yes, I, I think you have to let them all out of their LOIs. Every single, if they want to. 
Now, you don't force it, but you have to give them the option to get out of it freely and open up their recruitment and sign somewhere else. I don't think that's debatable. You have to do that. People, uh, people, I've seen a couple of reporters, ESPN, uh, float out Gene Chizik. Yeah, I, I mean, holy crap. If, um, if Mississippi State hires Gene in? Chizik, that's a disaster. But it, the ironic part about that, is that not who they tried to snitch on for the Cam Newton deal? That is like exactly pro- who they tried. It was primarily Chizik. That's exactly who they tried to uh, turn in for Cam Newton, and that would be full circle. I just You would hope that, he, for their sake, uh, that that is just agents doing what good agents do and getting their guys' names floated around in coaching searches because if they hire Gene Chizik, it's a disaster. I know he won a national championship, but if you look at that Auburn team, I didn't realize this. Cole Kublik's the one that pointed this out. That Auburn offense has had two players take a single snap in the NFL, Cam Newton and one of the offensive linemen. Not a single running back, not a single wide receiver on that team took one snap in the NFL. That, that was, was the best Cam offense Newton. I've ever seen in person, too. Yep, and it was just because of Cam Newton. That team was good exclusively because Cam Newton was on it, and that's it. Gene Chizik, otherwise, is not a good head football coach. So well, he that's got where Mississippi coming State. off the plane. He was five and something at Iowa State, wasn't he? Wasn't he like five and nineteen when they hired him? Yeah, uh, not good at all. Let's see. I'm pulling it up just to be sure. And see again, this very well could be agents. He was five and nineteen. Yeah, I'm actually surprised I got that exactly right. Um, and then, why is Auburn hiring a guy that went five and nineteen at Iowa State? But yeah, he was five and nineteen. They went eight and five, fourteen and zero because of Cam Newton. Eight and five, three and nine, lost his job. But it makes sense why Cam like was so good in that offense. I mean, he's a bigger Tim Tebow with arm talent. Like he he was unbelievable. And this is eighteen nineteen. I guess at that point, Cam, with the junior college stop in Florida, 2021, whatever, before all the kind of toll it had taken on his body. Like, he, he was also Also, guess who was the offensive coordinator that year? Gus. Gus Melzon. So. Yeah. So, wow, what a wild, uh, what a wild couple of weeks. I, I do – I kind of feel it's bad for Moorhead. Like, he's going to get I – I hate getting feeling bad for millionaires, but, man, talk about having something just spiral out of control quickly – my, like, my God, like, again, that that's just, I don't know. It, it never seemed like a good fit. You you could tell, like, hey, dad always kept saying, if it, you know, if it's got to be done now, don't put it off. I mean, it, you just, you can, you know, you can spot a train wreck coming, even if you're, even the people in the program are trying to disguise it. And that, that just felt weird. It felt bad. And they just weren't a good team. And with their talent level, they should have been so much better this year. Yeah, they should have. And uh, same thing last year as well. It's, um, God, this is crazy, man. I, and it's nice to see, even though this was a little bit late, I said this on the radio show yesterday, um, the Egg Bowl not mattering as much. Does it or does it not? I mean, he won the thing. He's beaten Ole Miss twice now. Yeah, but this was like the most like nuanced egg bowl of all time. Yeah, because his job was saved because he beat Ole Miss. 
But and that's really wasn't. from one person, though. And that came from the very top. Everybody else was still way out on it. True. That is very true. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I think Ole Miss is finally being run like a program that actually wants to win at a high level. And one of the SB Nation guys today said Mississippi State's biggest problem with this is they think they're not Mississippi State. It's like, now, hold on a second. I know Dan Mullen is, is unique to that school, but just a few years ago, they were number one in the country. Like, you can win at Mississippi State at least at a level that's not frustrating as hell like Joe Moorhead's were. I mean, they were non-competitive. You can be Mississippi State or Ole Miss in what people think they are and still be competitive against the better teams in the SEC. Like, the program was a nightmare. They were non-competitive. They were unprepared. They were getting into NCAA trouble. Players were punching their quarterback in the face, which is now, it's so funny that that's He doesn't get fired if that doesn't happen. Probably not. That with the bowl game is really what seemed to be the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, but remember, nothing to see here. I mean, boys will be boys. This happens all the time. Willie Gay's just a badass, you know? That's all this is here. You knew that was crazy, though, from the time. And I, I guarantee the people actually saying that didn't really believe it. I mean, that falls into the irrational, you know, run someone over to your car that shouldn't be standing there crowd who's going to defend them no matter what. But that was a crazy take when it happened. Well, yeah, and there, then, there was a column written at a paper in this state about how, well, I got in a locker room fight in high school, therefore this is okay. So, Oh, I missed that. Oh, yeah. That was good. Uh, I was watching the state game at a Top Golf uh, in Fort Worth, and I saw a note uh, either after the game or maybe it was during the end they also had some several uh, minor quarter-long suspensions from that yeah. game. How, what, how does that work? Uh, I don't know. It went on. I have no idea what for. Nobody does. See, that's just a. I mean, talk about a disaster. I mean, the, I mean, all of this, everything we're saying is why it's the right move, right? Like that. None of that is normal. And, none of I mean, it's normal. It became a normal. I mean, I was talking to Hayda, and it became kind of a normalized process for them to just show up at the stadium on a given game day and find out who's suspended and who's not like that doesn't, doesn't seem like a normal exercise but i don't know it'll be interesting to see where mississippi state goes from there but you know it's one of those things where i thought it was a good hire at the time it just was a whiff it didn't work out i, I think again this is my bad hire versus whiff theory i don't think it was a bad hire because i think their process was clear and concise and the way things you know things were handled it was a well-run search i just think it was a whiff and you know Whiffs happen all the time. You know, there's only several good coaches in the country with long staying power. That's what everyone strives for, but there's a reason that's a rarity. So it'll be interesting to where they go from there, but, you know, just kind of a swing and a miss there. But, you know, it happens to every, literally every program except to select few. Pretty much. And, uh, I mean, I guess we'll see where it goes. It is, and, man, and people got mad at me last night, too, for saying that if Ole Miss doesn't fire Matt Luke and hire Lane Kiffin, this doesn't happen. I, I still think that that is not the reason, but it is certainly one of them. It would be interesting to what that would happen is if we're sitting here today, Matt Luke's still the head coach at Ole Miss. But I think Joe Moore is still the, the coach. The last month, I'm not necessarily disagreeing because I don't know, but, man, just the last three weeks – with the Schrader fight and everything else and the way that was handled. It wasn't just... a fight. It was boys being boys. <laughs> but like that, that to me seems what, what, what nailed his coffin. I mean, your starting yeah, quarterback but... broke a facial bone and couldn't play in the game. <laughs> Did you see the picture that was tweeted out of 
one half of his face. No, was it bad? <laughs> no, it wasn't the it wasn't bruised or anything, but it was conspicuously just his profile of somebody talking to him about how he's in good spirits and and whatever. But no, I, I don't think that they fire Moorhead because of Lane Kiffin, because of obsession or whatever. I don't that's not my angle on this. I think that the state people saw Ole Miss's process in that it was going wrong and people applied pressure to make the move happen. And when it worked, I think people saw that and were more motivated to make it work for them as well. Because Ole Miss just went four and eight, man, and everybody nationally is talking about him and all the fans are locked in. And they saw that and were like, wait, we can do this too. And applied pressure. I mean, as you saw a couple of the reports, boosters were the ones that were applying the pressure because they saw it work elsewhere. And I don't think if that doesn't happen, it's as strong in forcing the hand because they did give him an extension two weeks ago. Yeah, they did. I, uh, I agree though. I, I, it's all the, the sequence of events and what affected what is interesting. And honestly, not, I mean, no pun intended would make for an interesting book. The last two months of Mississippi college football where really only two games have been played and everything that's happened between then would kind of make for an interesting, maybe it's, it's probably not a book. It's probably a long form piece. You couldn't get anyone to talk until well after the fact, but that would be very interesting three, four years down the road to read. Maybe I'll put that on this planner. I just bought to be more organized in 2020, but we'll see. Anyway, uh, I guess you want to get to the Pick'em, uh, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg's been sponsoring the Pick'em all year. Uh, I hate we didn't have him on at the end of the year, but we do have NFL playoff games this week, and I am fascinated by quite a few of them. But go see Greg, University Avenue across from Kroger. You can get meat. You can get his gambling locks. Greg's always got uh, got some kind of uh, some kind of lockdown in on his mind because he hit it like 60-something percent this year in the games that we picked, which is just kind of wild considering that me and Colin and then me and you uh, just got absolutely smoked by Greg the Meat Shark. Go go see what kind of smoked meats he has at LB's Steaks, Custom Cuts. He's got daily specials. They've got plate lunches, all kinds of good stuff. It's the best place in Mississippi to get meat by far, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. It is wild card weekend, and I'm just going to go out there, and I'll start this off with the bang. I think the Titans are going to beat the Patriots, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Titans fan, maybe partially, but I, I think they're going to go in there and win thoughts oh man i think so too I, I really do i mean they're playing better right now they're a better team top to bottom they're a better team top to bottom they're healthy in uh, look i know it's the patriots i know it's foxborough i know it's tom brady it just feels like one team is significantly better than the other right now and that's the titans now to be fair I thought this a little bit last year. The Patriots had a much better team last year, but when that very talented Chargers wildcard team went into Foxborough, I thought Patriots are vulnerable. They're going to get beat. And they just, I mean, Bill Belichick absolutely pulled Anthony Lynn's pants down and they ran this weird cover two and Brady and Edelman just destroyed them and it wasn't even close. So would it shock me if they kind of have one last rally at night in Foxborough, they take care of the Titans. They have a much better game plan than Mike Vrabel. No, but I do think the Titans have a hell of a chance here. They're a better football team. But again, you're going up against the greatest dynasty the sport's ever seen at home at night in Foxborough. But 
even if they do beat the Titans, I don't see the Patriots. Like, they're definitely not going to Kansas City and winning. I, I, I don't see that at all. I, I think their, their ceiling is beating the Titans. I, I just I don't think they have the weapons. I mean, they lost to the Dolphins on Sunday. In, in a game that they needed to win. Defense. Yeah, they, they lost the bye. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick drove 80 yards on that defense. And they Devontae Parker, they went right at Stephon Gilmore the whole game, and it worked. Like, it, for this Patriots team that was supposed to be like, okay, we're, we're run by the defense, and like we're just kind of kind of pick our spots off. And so we, the defense looked horrible. Yeah. So, and I even though A.J. Brown's a rookie, I mean, A.J. Brown is better than anybody that the Dolphins have. He's a top seven receiver in the NFL right now, in my opinion. Uh, there are really nine other guys. I guess that'd be eight, but I mean, t- we'll go top ten. Are there nine other guys in the NFL you're taking ahead of A.J. Brown right now? I'm not sure there are. Because after you get past like five or six, it's kind of like, would you really take it over him? That's a good question. I mean, so Thomas, Julio, Hopkins. Yeah, get the obvious out of the way. Sure. But when you get to that six, seven, eight range, are there really that many dudes you would take over A.J. Brown right now? Man, he's so physical and yet still so good in space. Uh, I'm, oh, so Thomas, um, Keenan Allen had a really good year, actually, if you look at the numbers. Uh, Hopkins, I think you would take – would you take Edelman over Brown? Yeah, right? I don't know, man. Edelman's a shell of himself. Like he can't and he's in a system that allows him to – really work and with when they them not the, the most baffling thing about the pats to me is them not addressing the tight end thing knowing gronk was on his way out because gronk would take the top off of defenses and allow all that space in the middle for edelman to kind of weave and work and get open but now that teams aren't really worried about that edelman can't get open that and he really just kind of looks like a shell of himself physically so now i would take aj brown over julian edelman right now easily i think so here are the top 10 receivers i'm taking out travis kelsey in the NFL this year as far as yards. Thomas Jones, Godwin, Devontae Parker, Keenan Allen, Galladay, Cooper, DJ Moore with the Panthers, Jarvis Landry in Cleveland, Hopkins in Houston. I think you would take him over Parker. I think you would take him over Keenan Allen, Galladay, DJ Moore, and maybe even Jarvis Landry. I was about to say, I'm, I might go hot take here. I might take A.J. Brown in the way he's playing right now over Jarvis Landry. Uh, but, you know, like it, it, that's not necessarily fair to Landry because of you know who he played for or what team he played on. Sure. I mean, it's close. But so anyway, tighten up. I think I've got a uh, – I'm pretty pumped for this one. It's at night. It, this is going to be the best game of the weekend because I think the rest of these are going to kind of stink. Uh, Buffalo-Houston will be interesting but ugly. I actually – like, it seems like the world is kind of picking Buffalo because they have a better defense, but doesn't that feel like Deshaun Watson might just kind of will that team to win? Yeah, I think so, even though I really like the Bills and want them to win. Um, Me too. It's just rookie – not rookie quarterback, second-year quarterback, like limited. Like I know that's a really good Buffalo defense, but they've been a little susceptible on the road. Just, give me Deshaun Watson here, but I, I do think Buffalo is more complete team. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, even though it's a three-point line, yeah. I man, you talk about uh, this game. You'd give me this game three weeks ago, and I'd have said sign me up, Minnesota, New Orleans. But now it's kind of like yeah, this is might not be decided by single digits. I have a feeling it's going to be a blowout, and not because I've got an affinity for the Saints. I, I just no, I think they're going to roll them too. 
I mean, Kirk Cousins on the road in New Orleans uh, with a motivated Saints team that is as healthy as they can be and playing their best football of the year right now. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll take the Saints at home. And there's a chance Dalvin Cook doesn't play, is there not? I believe so, but uh, I would expect him to give it a go. Yeah, I just, I don't see it. Like, Kirk Cousins on the road in the playoffs in the Dome against that defense? Like, I, I really, no. I, 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 I don't. I don't see as much as I want to. Like, if you got, if if I knew for a fact Dalvin Cook's going to play, okay, maybe. But I, I just, I really don't see that. And it's the line. I think was at one point eight. Now it's seven and a half. Philadelphia actually opened as a one point favorite against Seattle. That's now shifted to a one and a half point favorite the other way. Philly's a weird team. I think anyone. Uh, I think anyone who was like anti Carson Wentz is probably kind of burying their head in the sand at this point because I think anyone who was kind of behind Wentz the whole time is kind of I mean he how, how he won that division even at nine and seven with who he was throwing to uh, was wild to me. I was listening to a podcast on my drive home yesterday and it was Russillo and Chris Long who Chris Long played on the Eagles last year and he was saying that he was watching the uh, the Cowboys game or Eagles game two weeks ago and a guy would catch a pass and he would go wait, who the hell is that guy? Like, he played on their team last year. Like, it, that, that's just wild to me. That's some dude they were throwing to named Garrett Ward. And uh, I, Chris Long was like, I played on this team last year, and I don't know who that is. And so, like, I, I don't – that said, I don't think they have the horses. I think Seattle got jobbed, and I think they're going to win. I mean, we're agreeing on everything today. I think so, too. Well, just like these – it's kind of disappointing the way the season – this excuse me, season – seeding ended up. Because like I feel like you could have you could have scrambled these into a, a, a couple more compelling matchups, and the seating is the way it is. But like, like Seahawks in New Orleans would be awesome. Yes, that would be awesome. You know, I guess the rest you'd kind of leave the same because Titans Pats will be fascinating. Bills Texans it just it's hard for anyone to get up with the game. Next the weekend will be significantly better than this one. Oh, a hundred percent. Would they have been more interesting, though, if Seattle had scored that touchdown on Sunday night, though? Because that's Packers one seed, Saints two, Seattle three, San Francisco hosting. Is that San Francisco hosting Minnesota? Yes. Yeah, let's see. I think. No, 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 no. That would be... Seattle. Wouldn't you get a rematch? No. I didn't see now I'm confused. Ah, oh well. The point stands. Yeah, it would be there would be more interesting matchups. Uh, no, no, no. San Francisco would have to go to Philly and then you would have Seattle hosting Minnesota. That would be two more kind of interesting games. But anyway, I don't know. There, yeah, next weekend's gonna be a lot better. Wildcard weekend's always kind of duddish. Is it like a law that the Texans have to play the ESPN three o'clock game? Like we're gonna get Booger and Tess calling Deshaun Watson <laughs> and Josh Allen. Wait, are we really? Yeah, the, well, I, I guess I could be wrong, but the Monday Night Football crew always uh, – ESPN pays for that early Saturday AFC game uh, unless something's changed. I'll double-check it right now, but yeah. Oh, well, then uh, when does Ole Miss play Wichita State? Uh, three o'clock. Oh, shit. I was about to say, well, then I can – no, I can watch that game instead of having to listen to Booger. That'll be great. I'll put one on one TV and one on the other and have the volume up on the basketball game instead of hearing – Tess scream about three-yard gains, yeah. and Booger tell you that when the quarterback throws the ball, he passes it. So it'll be yeah. great. 
Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth there because they are getting this game. It's at 335. I'll have two TVs set up, but you can guess which one is getting the mute. I, uh, I'll i be <laughs> listening to whoever's broadcasting Ole Miss Wichita State. I can't do booger. But, yeah, I mean, I, I really don't think, like, your only argument here, like, the, I mean, the only game you're really kind of, I guess, would be arguing about here is Titans-Pats because, like, I really don't see the Vikings. I mean, obviously, spread-wise is a different story, but I don't see the Vikings winning Eagles Seahawks could get weird depending on how healthy the Eagles are. I just don't think they have the horses. And then Bills Texas is just kind of like who cares? Like you don't think either one of these teams actually could make a run, so it's kind of like whatever. You know, Buffalo's got a nice team. Uh, Texans are just kind of there. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'll watch all four and enjoy the hell out of them. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. We've gone quite a while. We had a lot to catch up on. Is that? Uh, did we miss anything? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, unless you want to give your take on the uh, the recent um, killing of one of the most notorious terrorists in the world uh, in the Middle East yesterday, that's got uh, the political sides up in arms. I mean, we can talk about that if you want to I, I give your political that. take. My only comment on that will be is if we go to war and there's a draft, I'm probably taking a hammer to one of my legs or my hands because I'm not cut out for war. I'm probably not cut out for war or prison. So, uh if there is a draft, I'm probably breaking a foot. That's probably my only comment on that. I don't, I don't think you have to worry about that. So, we will, um, not your typical mailback Friday, but we're back to a normal schedule next week. We've got the new year, 2020, all kinds of stuff going on. You've got some football coming up, recruiting, you know, basketball seasons hitting uh, conference play. And then before you know it, uh, we'll be having college baseball season again. We're about a month and a half out. So a lot going on. We uh, hope everybody had a safe and happy new year. I appreciate everyone listening to this podcast. We're kind of approaching the year mark. We're close. We're about a month and a half off, uh, kind of when baseball season started. So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate how much this has grown. If you like what you heard, like and subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. Uh, leave us five stars and say whatever you want in the comment section. But uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate Greg sponsoring the show. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see him. Greg's the man. It's the absolute best place in Mississippi for all your meat needs. Go see Greg. But anyway, I really appreciate you guys listening. Hope everyone had a safe and happy new year and uh, got some fun stuff planned for 2020. So uh, stay tuned and we'll be back with you on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.